thanks so much, buddy. And um, thank you guys for having me uh, share with you this morning. It's a great privilege and honor for me to do this. Um, so let me just get right into it. Last week, we saw two main things. The first one is that rest is found, uh, sorry, first is that rest is from God. Firstly, that rest is from God. And the second is that rest is found in Christ. Rest is from God in that it's the fourth of the Ten Commandments. God says, keep the Sabbath holy. That's that rest day. Keep it holy. And second, that rest is found in Christ, in the person of Christ. That is where we go to for our rest. We saw that from Matthew 11. Jesus saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And so for me to stand up here and um, talk you know, about rest is, is quite funny. As you'll see, I'll happily stand up here and, and wax eloquent about theology proper, you know, um, God's omniscience, omnipotence, omnibenevolence, immutability, impassibility, God's simplicity, you know, there's nothing not God back of God making God to be God. Or we could run off into a, a bit of a defense of the uh, reliability of the New Testament manuscripts and the, the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We could happily do that. I'd love to. Um, or maybe even a defense of uh, the existence of God. We could look at the cosmological, the ontological, the teleological arguments for the existence of God. Who's keen? <laughs> Love to. Give me the chance. But rest, oh man, to talk about rest, it's, it's like it, it is hypocrisy of the greatest level to have me be the one to bring this message today because I don't consider myself someone who rests very well or am someone who's, you know, in a space of restfulness. I don't think I model that very well by my life. Um, you know, I, I have a whole bunch of little hobbies. I don't like sitting still. I'm always doing stuff. Uh, for example, uh, I make my own beard oil. <laughs> yes. um, if you want some. Uh, or y maybe, maybe I don't look like much of a gardener, but I love bonsai trees, and you're just sitting there, like, you know, snipping them, tinkering away. Like, I've got to uh, keep doing stuff. Or extremely bad woodwork. I'm very good at that. Um, my wife will attest to that. Um, but you know, maybe let me tell you a little bit about sort of myself in the context of this restlessness. Um, over the last five months about. My wife and I have moved from the Western Cape to Joburg, from Hermanus to Joburg. Like, what is wrong with this dude? Why would you do that? Uh, to move jobs, I was running a marine biosecurity consultancy there and moved to join the pastoral and content team here. So, you know, had that going on uh, along with moving province, which is hectic. Uh, at the same time, we decided to buy a house. So went through that process and the house has wallpaper. So like getting wallpaper off, that's not restful, I can tell you that. Getting wallpaper off walls is not an act of rest. Um, through that, uh, I'm doing a master's degree in theology and apologetics. Um, apologetics, if you hadn't, couldn't tell. Um, and, and trying to fund that by doing some work on the side as well, just some extra stuff. Uh, so, you know, lots going on there. And then in the midst of all of that, uh, my wife and I welcomed our little daughter, Olivia, into the world, who's tomorrow eight weeks old. So, oh, I'll take that, I'll take that. But as I'm sure you're thinking and piecing together, there's not much rest going on there. So off the back of thinking about that and last week's message, um, I'm, I'm wondering how, how in the midst of all of that do I find real rest for my soul? How is it that I find rest in Christ? What does that even mean? If you hear that, like, man, just rest in Christ. What does it mean? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to wrestle that out. And what is, how do I move towards that? So maybe in the room, uh, there, there's some, maybe you're more like me, or you've you got a hectic um, schedule, and, and you're really just going, going, going. Or 
maybe on the other side you you don't have that. Maybe that's not a, your experience. Maybe it's more of a struggle to find your place in this world, in this life, uh, struggling you know, to see the point of it all. Maybe a bit of depression, anxiety, uh, restlessness, hopelessness. Um, it seems like everyone else around you is just doing so well. My contention today is that both these extremes and everything in between have the same sort of fundamental root problem often, and it's a mistaken identity. It's an identity issue. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, primarily, is identity. And we have to see first up that identity in Christ is first and foremost two things. Rest, that is. Rest is an issue of theology. Finding rest in Christ is an issue of theology. And second, it's an issue of obedience. Rest is an issue of theology, and it's an issue of obedience. Theology and knowing who God is, who, who is this God, and what does He say? And second, how am I actually supposed to respond to this God in what He has said? And so to give you a, a little bit of a roadmap of where we'll be going today, first we're going to be seeing the symptoms, that is looking at what happens when we don't do this, what, when it's not going well, when we forget our identity. Seeing the symptoms. Second, seeing the scriptures. And third, seeing the solution. So let's start with seeing the symptoms. I'm just going to look at a few ways that we kind of see this, especially in our context, working its way out. And the first is this, that we derive value from material goods. The idea that he who dies with the most toys wins at the end. Proverbs would say to us, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich, but be wise enough to know when to quit. Profound words, simple, but profound. You'll never see a hearse pulling a Hilux. If you do, you've got to ask a question. What's going on here? You, so you can't, you can't take that stuff with you. So we pursue the stuff. We, we run after the stuff and we run after the stuff and, 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 and try and get more wealth and more money to get more stuff. The question is why? Why do we do that? And I think fundamentally it's because we bought into the idea of culture which says you chase that stuff, you do that, and that's how you find your worth. That's how you find your value. That's how you find your identity in who you are, and that's when things make sense. We bought into that all too often. And we start, we, we forget that who I am is extremely and fundamentally linked to whose I am that is in God. And we think that we chase all this stuff and then we'll find like a little bit of relaxation when we take a bit of a holiday. But you see, relaxation is for physical and mental recuperation. Sure, it's good for that, sure. But resting is linked to fundamental existential certainty of who I am and whose I am and my eternal destination with my Creator. So that very simply, true soul rest starts at a much deeper issue of understanding who you are. So your identity comes from the Lord, and you, you can relax all you want. It's not going to sort it out. It's not going to fix it. Your value comes from God. Talk about good theology. That is good theology. Your value comes from God as being made in the image of God. The question is, do you believe that? Have you wrestled with that? And do you live like it? Second thing is valuing achievements above relationships. Read Ecclesiastes again. It says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man or woman who is all alone without child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can, but then asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving so, up so much pleasure now 
it is also meaningless and depressing. This speaks of someone whose life by their own design and working is so full of stuff, but so empty of love, so empty of relationship, just wanting someone to see them and know them and love them. And thinking that if they pursue this stuff, they've, they've forgotten that they find that stuff in relationship and ultimately relationship with God. Or the, the cultural narrative saying that, you know, if you get that job, if you get that degree, if you get that title, that car, that house, then you will be seen and then you will be respected by others. You know, maybe that person who you admire so much, maybe they'll see you and love you. I don't say that lightly. I, I know the struggle. I've, I've been there. I'm, I, in many ways, I'm still there. I, I get that. But this is specifically talking about someone who's chased so much stuff and achievement that they failed to pursue life-giving relationships and ultimately the relationship that matters most, which is their relationship with their creator God. And so that also leads to insecurity, which is the third thing. I had an illustration. Um, a pastor was talking to a congregant of theirs uh, in a very wealthy setting in the U.S., and he, uh, he said to him, you know, how much, how much more do you need until you're secure, until you've got enough that you, need, you, you don't need to be chasing so hard and pushing so hard to get um, wealth and money, and, you know, you can just step back and relax. How much more do you, do you actually need? How much more money would you like to save? And the guy sort of ummed and ah a little bit. I said, oh, you know, 30 million more, then I think I'm good. <laughs> 30 million more. That's, that's nice. That's great. Cool. I could do it. You know, just give me one of those. I'll be fine. But... Did you see, the point is this, that no matter how much you have, no matter how much of that you have and think that you find your security in those things, it'll, it can all just be taken away, ripped away in a moment. You can't cling to this stuff, this, this, this transient stuff. It doesn't take you anywhere. And so to that end, I want to just read you a, uh, a bit of a testimony from a friend who I work with. Um, she's, uh, her and I were chatting when I was preparing the sermon and uh, in chatting, I said, hey, would you mind if I shared that story you told me? And she was very gracious and said, absolutely, and she wrote it down. So I'm going to read you her words. And she says this. Um, it's, it's a bit long, so dial in. Seven years ago, in July 2012, God started to teach me how to rest. At first, I thought it was just about physical rest. I was 36, and after many years of relentlessly pushing myself to achieve, be it at work, throughout my studies, or in my obsession with keeping fit, I'd come down with a bad bout of glandular fever, and despite feeling extremely ill, I was almost glad of the excuse to have a couple of weeks break from my hectic life. Six weeks later, though, I was still bedridden, plagued with pain in my muscles and joints, and too crippled by asthma and exhaustion to even walk around my house or take a shower. My doctor diagnosed me with fibromyalgia, a lifelong incurable pain disease characterized by pain and stiffness in all four quadrants of the body, as well as cognitive dysfunction, or brain fog, as it's called, and chronic fatigue. I was put on chronic pain medication and was advised to make some lifestyle changes to reduce stress and allow me to get the rest that I needed. I thought it would be a straightforward matter of carrying on with my life, but a bit less you know, work and exercise and a bit more time to myself. But this diagnosis signaled the collapse of the life and identity that I had arduously constructed for myself, and I was left gazing at the rubble and wondering how I was supposed to carry on. It slowly began to sink in that I would not get better, and I began to wrestle with what meaning my life could possibly have when everything that I thought gave it meaning had been stripped away. 
Let's read that again. What meaning my life could possibly have when everything I thought gave it meaning had been stripped away. I found myself, uh, I found myself worth and purpose in my achievements. I've been quite gifted academically with a flair for foreign languages and later a natural affinity for law. Every time I won a class medal I got, or got a distinction and won a prize, I felt that I was worth something. Can you resonate with that? It's, it's a good feeling to be worth. And I got an addictive high from beating my fellow students to the top spot. I worked single-mindedly and aggressively to achieve my goals, and this became the pattern for my working life as well. I didn't really have downtime and would start to get antsy if I had to even go a day without some form of exercise. I literally couldn't sit still because there was always an underlying sense of dissatisfaction, of not being enough, doing enough, having enough, and that's what was driving me onwards. Getting fibromyalgia was like having my life stripped bare. I couldn't work, socialize, travel, study, or exercise. For a long time, I couldn't even read a magazine article because I lacked the concentration to get through it and had literally lost my ability to process words. Listen to the next words quite carefully. Because I had attached my identity and sense of worth to idols, and because those idols had been revealed to be useless men of straw, I no longer knew who I was and why I should carry on living. Hard question she poses, but honest. So I'm going to pick that up in a moment, but let's move on to part two of seeing the scriptures. Let's see what the scriptures have to say about this. And if you'll turn with me to Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 11. Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 11 is going to be up on the screen as well. It says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Sure, talking about rest, and suddenly I've gone to God's wrath. Sorry. <laughs> but this is, there's, a, there's a warning in the scriptures here for us that I'd like us to see, and that's why I've gone to this. Um, so let me just, I don't want to assume you know exactly what's going on here, but this is taken from, uh, this is, uh, even though it's in Hebrews 3, it's taken from Psalm 95, uh, and he's quoting it. But he starts off by saying, the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, so if it's in the New Testament and, and he's saying explicitly it's the Holy Spirit who's saying it, that means that it, this is for us today. We, we should open up our ears and listen to this. It's for those people in the New Testament, but it's definitely for us today because the Holy Spirit is still saying it. And he says, Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test for 40 years. So a bit of context, I don't want to you know, assume that you know exactly what's going on there. The Israelites were God's chosen people, and He promised them this rest that they were looking ahead to. Um, and specifically at that point, it was this, this land He was giving them, the land of Canaan. But they had been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, and God then came on the scene and through His hand uh, working miracles, the ten plagues, He released them from that bondage and set them into the wilderness of Sinai. 
Now these, the, these Israelites, he said to them, you, know, you are my people, I'm coming to rescue you, I'm your God, know who I am, have a relationship with me, obey me, and that it'll, it'll go good for you, it'll go well. These Israelites, they saw what God did to get them out of Egypt, you know, they, he, he parted the Red Sea, they went through it, he closed the Red Sea on their pursuers, they spent what should have not been, it shouldn't have been 40 years, it was, it's quite a short little journey they had, but because of their disobedience, it ended up, you know, being a stretched out period of 40 years, but in that time, they saw God. They saw Him leading them. They experienced manna from heaven, which is God's provision for them. Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And we all know what happened when Moses came back. What he saw was that these Israelites who God had so selected and, and saved and had journeyed with and showed Himself to them, what had they done? Golden calf. They'd built an idol because they'd t taken their eyes off God and built this idol. As, you know, a lot of people say, you know, we're exactly like the Israelites. And we would do, if we were in that position, we would do exactly the same thing. I don't know, man. Like, a golden calf is pretty overt. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I'd go to that extent. My, my sort of disobedience is a little more subtle than that. But, you know, they did it, and um, we, we get to see that. Um, but this is, the, this is the point, that they had taken their eyes off God, and that's why they did this. And so then he wraps it up, he, he uses that illustration, the author of Hebrews, and then he roots it back to our current context, or the context of his reading, he says, take care then, brothers, lest there be in you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So he's saying that the Israelites had this heart problem, they, because of the heart, they were led astray because they were looking for identity and worth and value somewhere else. They took their eyes off God and started pursuing idols. And so here's a summary statement for that. The Israelites forgot who they were in light of whose they were, and so looked to other things for identity, and therefore did not enter the rest God had for them. They forgot who they were and whose they were. You see, this lack of rest comes from not knowing, believing, and trusting God in what He says about who we are in light of whose we are, that we are His people. We're made in the image of God. I'm talking about the rest is, is a real soul rest, our whole being, being in a posture and disposition of rest and security in knowing the character of God. And that's linked to faith and obedience. You have to know who God is if you're going to have faith in Him. So that's an issue of theology and obedience. So they forgot who's and who and whose they were, then they looked to other things. They went astray in their hearts. It doesn't say that they accidentally stumbled into building a golden calf. No, you don't do that. They intentionally did that because they'd taken their eyes off who God was. And the condition, because of the condition of their heart, when they took their eyes off God, they looked for security and satisfaction and purpose and worth and value and identity and other things outside of God. And because of that, they therefore did not enter His rest. And that's the warning that's here for us today as well. It says, and because of this, God said, fine, follow your desires, but you shall not enter my rest. That's what He said to the Israelites. Because they forgot who God is. That's why theology matters. <laughs> Give you an illustration from my life over like the last week. Um, you know, I mentioned the last sort of five months, but it seems like in pre preparing for messages, uh, God will sometimes let you struggle with the thing that you are going to be speaking about. And so <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a rough week, man. Um, 
uh, I've struggled with flu. My wife is uh, sick. We're staying with her family until the house is, you know, fully de-wallpapered. Um, and, <laughs> you know, head there. But everyone's sick, man. And even my little daughter got sick and ended up spending uh, Wednesday and Thursday night in the hospital. And so, not a good week. Um, you know, you, you restful, you're stressed and tired and you're wondering, uh, like, how do you trust God in the midst of this? Because you get to the end of yourself where you don't feel like you are focusing on God and trusting God. When you are so at the end of your tether, you don't do that. You don't naturally just be, no, I'm good. I'm resting in God. No, it's a struggle. That's what I struggle with. And so how is it that in that situation of wondering, wondering if it's going to be fine, how is it that I can rest? It's because I'm not looking to something I can do or something I need to stop doing. It's because I'm rooted in who God is. It's not about me. It's not about what I can do or what I shouldn't do. It's about who God is. It's about His character, a God of provision and sustenance and blessing and love for you and for me. That's who we look to in the midst of things. He works all good. He works good for those who love Him. He works all things for the good of those who love Him. And so when I'm focusing not on who I am or what I can do, I'm focusing on the character of God who provides, who loves me, who sustains me, who holds me in the palm of His hand, then it doesn't matter. All these things can fall to the side. And it's fine because I am rooted fundamentally in God. And that is the best place to be. I know I don't get that right all the time. I don't get that right all the time. But it's okay if I don't. Because God is constant and unfailing. Whenever you forget who you belong to, you'll go astray and lose out on rest for your soul. So move on to Hebrews 4, verses 1 to 3. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. By faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. We who have believed enter that rest. And that is the rest that is in Christ if you've believed. If you know Christ, if you've believed in Him, then this is where the words of Matthew 11 are so pertinent and poignant for us. It says, come to me. Let us approach Jesus. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. That's obedience. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So when asking the question of how do I do this? How do I rest in Christ? How do I, how do I you know, what do I need to put in place? I can't give you more than, than this. It's an issue of what is the gospel? Who is Jesus? That the perfect life he lived is ours. God sees us as his perfect righteousness because he lived the perfect sinless life in absolute obedience and he took that to the cross. He took our sin and shame and guilt and fallenness to the cross 
and nailed it there, and his perfect righteousness is put on you, is given to you, is gifted to you when you put your faith in him. And that is where you rest. That is where you find rest. That's why this is an issue of theology and obedience. Know that gospel, know Jesus, and trust him. If you want rest for your soul, you must receive Jesus. And know that by faith you are united to him. In the moment, in the moment that you trust him, that you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that, yes, Christ is who he claimed to be, he would say this of you. It comes from John 14, says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. God says that of you. That's great hope for us. That takes it much further beyond than what I can do for myself because I can do nothing. But I know that if I am rooted in Christ, if I am united to Christ, then I am secure, I am held, and in that I rest. If you're united to Christ, that's your new identity. It speaks of this metaphysical reality of position, being found in Christ. That is where you are. And if you put your faith in Jesus, that is who you are. And that's just the objective reality of things for you. And that's a good thing. Let me pick up portion three, seeing the solution. And pick up that um, testimony of my friends that I started reading a little bit earlier. She carries on and says, I spent a lot of time alone, often despairing and sliding into hopelessness. But as I came to the end of myself, God's grace led me to the foot of the cross and I surrendered my life to Jesus. I began a new life as a new creation in Christ, one in which I could rest because of what Jesus had done for me, finally making me acceptable and giving me value, meaning, and purpose as a child of God. Over the years, God has continued to teach me what this means, helping me to discover my identity in Christ and to believe the truth of what he says about who he is and about who I am in him. This is still a struggle sometimes to accept that my value isn't linked to my productivity or to believe that God is fulfilling his purposes for my life despite my physical limitations. I have to keep reminding myself of God's word and choosing to believe him. But I will say this, for all that chronic illness has taken from me, I have gained far more as I have come to experience the rest Jesus offers for our souls, giving us satisfaction, peace, hope, in whatever the circumstances. End quote. It makes me think of Psalm 23 where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. It's that same God who makes you lie down that will restore your soul. And sometimes God will need to make you lie down. But he will be the one to pick you up and he will be the one to restore your soul. And that is where our hope is and that is where our rest is. Do you know that good shepherd? It's my question. To rest is to cease from works of trying to prove ourselves, to attain righteousness, to try and work to earn our salvation and to be accepted and acceptable. That's all done, that's complete. If you're in Christ, that is no longer the issue. You can rest in Christ. Rest in Christ. So to close, just three applications of this. 
how do we do this? How do we, you know, how do we wrestle with this? The first is to enjoy what God has given you. Be it a little or be it a lot, enjoy what God has given you now. And remember that nobody on their deathbed ever asks for their stuff. <laughs> they ask for people. They ask for relationship. They wonder if there's meaning. That's where that comes from. But you don't want to get to the end of your life and be wondering, the, you know, have the question of um, how is that relationship with God? How is my relationship with God? You don't want to be uncertain about that. So, so come to Christ. Come to Him now. Rest in Him now. Two, approach God. Jesus says, come to me. Start fostering that relationship with Him. You've got you to turn to Him. Turn from what you think gives you value and meaning and purpose. Turn from what you think makes you acceptable and, and, and righteous. And turn to Christ. Pursue Him. Follow Him. Know Him. And three, learn to trust the Good Shepherd. That is, learn from Jesus. Go to God's Word and read it and learn about who He is and what He's done for you, what He's done to you, and what He will do through you if you are in Him. Jesus didn't come to make salvation possible for those who do their part, but to accomplish it and give it freely to those who would receive it. So that's the question. Will you be obedient and receive this free gift that God has for you to dwell in a place of rest for your soul, real rest in the midst of chaos? Will you come to Him and be in Him? For those who have received it, your new identity is that you are found in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. You celebrate that. You live in that. That's a good thing. It's a done deal because of God's grace for you. Have you accepted it? And if you have, then rest in that every day. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have made a way for us to enter into a place of absolute peace and rest and knowing that our value comes from you and nowhere else, Lord. That for those who have accepted your grace, Lord, who have accepted your son Jesus, they are found in him. They are righteous. Their sin has been removed from them as far as the west is from the east, Lord, and they are blemish-free. And you see them as that, and that's where we can rest. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Pray for those who right now are not experiencing that rest, Lord, who are struggling with this, that you would be the comfort for their souls that they so need, Lord, that in the midst of so much going on where they can't lift their heads and they're just sinking, that, Lord, you would go to them, that you would show yourself to them, that they would see your grace, your mercy, and the true rest that is in you, Lord, and that they would turn to you and find ultimate true rest for their souls that they so need. I ask this in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen.